1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film Podcast. And this week, it's a very special treat. If you've been keeping up with MK3D, that's the monthly show that I usually do every month on stage at the BFI Southbank, but I've been doing online at BFI Player recently, what with one thing and another, you'll know that I spoke to Richard Curtis in an extended interview about... One of my favourite Christmas films of all time, Love Actually. Well, here at the Kermit Uncut podcast, we like to give you the longer, more unedited version of those interviews. So here it is, a special Christmas treat. Me and Richard Curtis, with a little interjection from Emma Freud, shooting the breeze about Love Actually. And plot spoiler in advance, there are moments when I dance and moments when I nearly cry. So it is an absolute treat and a pleasure and a particular Christmas present to me to be joined uh, by the great Richard Curtis. Richard, hello, welcome to the show. I'm I'm sorry that it's not in person. It's lovely to have you here virtually. Where Where are we speaking to you from?
2: I'm just at home, off Labrook Grove, um, in very lockdown, and but starting to feel Christmassy. There's definitely something in the air. In our church outside, they sell Christmas trees. So, and they suddenly <laughs> appeared
1: yesterday. Have you? Have you? St- There's a rule, isn't there, about when you can start putting decorations up? It's some. Um, I mean, we ge- we generally have a rule, but we can't we can't do anything before the beginning of December. So you haven't started decorating no. the house yet.
2: I know. I think that's right. I think that's okay. that's very profound. I'm interested you know I'm obsessed by pop music and Christmas songs I wish I was we were talking about great Christmas records I might give you my hints there but um, uh, yeah I'm, I'm interested that some of
1: the Christmas songs are creeping into the top 40 already. Well, now, Richard, by the time this goes out, of course, Christmas will be well and truly upon us. We are recording this at the very, very end of November. Right. Um, so, as I said, it's kind of early Christmas treat. So since you bring it up, we're going to talk about Love Actually, which is one of my favourite films ever in the whole world. ever. That's so bizarre. So bizarre. I'm going to try and get to the bottom of that. <laughs> OK, but so you mentioned Christmas records. OK, so quickly rundown of the best Christmas records, Evs. What are your favourites? Which are the ones that you always turn to? Um,
2: White Wine in the Sun by Tim Minchin. Yep. Um, Tim Wheeler and Emmy the Great did this extraordinary album. Um, and there are two Home for the Holidays and Snowflakes. Um, I love Chris Martin's um, Christmas Lights. Um, I love the Mariah Carey song. I really like George Michael's second Christmas song. Um, called December <laughs> Song. I
1: don't know whether you know that one. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I am I'm familiar with Last Christmas, but I'm not familiar with December Song. No, How December does it go? December Song
2: was really beautiful. It's about sort of a disrupted family where they only find peace at Christmas. And there's a great killer song. There are two great killers ones. I mean, there are three. Don't Shoot Me, Santa. Noel, Noel, The Piece of Coal. Um, but I think the masterpiece is uh, Christmas in LA, which is okay. really, really great.
1: Have you ever listened to Nick Lowe's Christmas album?
2: I have. And Little Toy Trains is, one, is my favourite on You that. see, yeah.
1: that just... I mean, I'm a huge Nick Lowe fan anyway, and I remember getting a phone call from Simon Mayo saying... You're not going to believe this, but Nick Lowe's done a Christmas album, yeah. and and I I that for me is that because the sound, I love the tone of his voice, I love the fact that he's Nick Lowe, I love the fact that you know Brinsley Schwartz and the man who basically invented punk and produced every great record that I love in the 1970s and continues to be alleged, but the fact that he made that Christmas album, yeah, it's so yeah. it's so wonderful. I mean, Dylan's Christmas album is pretty funny.
2: That's also yes. worth a listen. <laughs> Oh, another recent great song, if you're of of our
1: era. Have you heard Joy by Tracy Thorne? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. That's the beauty too. And of course, funnily enough, Tracy Thorne, I was thinking of just recently because she did all those beautiful songs for the soundtrack of Carol Morley's film Falling, and uh, and they're they're available on on an, on an EP. And the Falling EP, which I just listened to again and again and again, because not least because I love the songs. But the, when I was a kid, I was in pop bands, um, and uh, and I wrote a book about this. And one of the the very first gig I ever did in a public place as opposed to outside of school was at the St. Albans Civic Hall and um, we were called The Basics and we supported a band called The Stern Bops who featured Tracy Thorne. Wow. So my first ever gig, I was on stage with Tracy Thorne. Look at how your lives have gone. (laughs) I know. know. Look
2: at our comparative pop trajectories and the way that worked out. So actually, I mean, just talking about that, When I write films, I sometimes get completely obsessed by single songs. Yeah. And the whole of Notting Hill was was written listening to the Everything but the Girl version of Downtown Train. Oh. If if you listen to that song, that's what I was trying to sort of get in the texture of Notting Hill.
1: That's brilliant, and of course, what, and what a great song! Of which several versions now but what a what a great song to have written it to. So, look, Richard, let's talk love. Actually, the first thing I want to say is this: love actually has become for me, and I've written about this so often that it's become you know a, a cliche. Has become for me a Christmas tradition, and I confess that when Love Actually first came out, I was probably in my slightly sniffier mode of you know, yeah, i fine, you know. But Love actually happened happened to me for two reasons. Firstly, that by about the third or fourth time I watched it, I realised that I knew every single line. And that was the point at which I thought, this is actually a cult movie. And ah. the second was that um, after my wife, Linda, uh, and I, we had young kids, and Linda had to go away. And she had to go away to America. And it was the first time she'd been away from the kids. I don't think she'd mind about being away from me. And she was on a transatlantic flight... And she watched Love Actually four times, literally just back to back, because it was the thing that threw her, saw her through the sun. And when she got to America and she arrived, and we were apart, and, and I said, what did you do? And she said, I just watched Love Actually four times. And we just, I think we probably burst into tears. And that was the point at which I realised that it was now, it was in our DNA forever. Did you know when you were making it that it was going to be one of those it's going to be around forever movies. I mean, so not.
2: Um, <laughs> it's so, and, you know, the history of the film is, you know, it was very hard for me to make in that it was my first film. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and also there was no time for anyone to get used to my directing because I only had everyone for a week, as it were. Right. And then went, the read-through went well. I remember thinking after the read-through, this is gonna be great. And then the <laughs> um, the assembly, even the sort of tight assembly was catastrophic. <laughs> I mean, it was as bad as any <laughs> of the films I've made. And some of them have been awful in their, <laughs> form. but um, so we had this four months of trying to see how we could And it was the toughest edit because it was like playing three-dimensional chess because any scene could go after any scene from any of the stories. Yeah. So there was this long period when we thought it was unreleasable. So my my feeling about it was not this is going to be a success or a hugely popular film, but
1: is this going to be ever watchable in any way? (laughs) You know, it's worth mentioning that um, I know it wasn't his very first film, but when Steven Spielberg was making Jaws, um, he says that the whole film, all he remembered was... I am never going to be allowed to shoot anything on film ever again because this is going so badly. And he said at one point, and there was a break in the shoot, he went to a party uh, somewhere which had some Hollywood types at it. And this woman came up to him and said, oh, you're Steven Spielberg. I hear you're toast. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. so his entire memory of it was, it wasn't whether it was going to, it was whether he was going to emerge from it in one he was ever going to work again, exactly. <laughs> so the, that whole idea of the fact that you have all these interlocking stories, of course, you did have to lose some stuff in the editing, didn't you? And there are, there, yeah. there is a whole, you know, there, there's, well, tell us about the stuff that isn't in the film and why it isn't in the film.
2: Well, I mean, length has always been an issue. The first edit of The Boat That Rock was 4 Hours 40, um, so you know that's always been an issue with me. I don't. That's know what, Heaven's
1: Gate. <laughs> yeah.
2: it was oddly enough that was my favourite version of the film. But, um, I think that uh, you know some of them, it, some of them hadn't quite worked as well as we hoped. One, of, I mean, there, we only lost about three bits. Yeah. But mainly it was this thing when I when you make a movie, my kind of editing thing is it's like you're pulling someone on a rope. And when you change the tone too much, it's like cutting the rope. And then you've got to go to all the trouble of going, getting the rope, picking it up again and starting again. And I think some of the things that we cut were just too off piece. So there was one bit which we shot in Kenya where you were meant to go in on a poster where um, uh, Laura Linney was working and see two women um, walking in an, across an African desert, and you realise that far from them talking about agriculture, they were discussing how much they didn't like one woman's new son-in-law. Um, you know, and that was meant to prove the argument love actually is all around. But it stopped <laughs> the film dead, and we couldn't get it in. So it was things like that. It was things that just when we were trying to keep
1: the string tight just were you know just cut it too much you mentioned laura linney one of my favorite i mean i have so many but one of my favorite moments in the film i'm sure i'm not alone in this i'm sure people tell you this all the time and it must get very boring the 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 laura linney can you just wait there a moment and then she goes around the thing and then she does the dance i mean there are there are so many moments in love actually when i just burst it, but that is almost my favorite moment in the whole film tell me about that Well, I don't remember much about it. I mean, I do think one of the things I've perhaps had an instinct for
2: casting people who are actually lovely people. And Laura's like the sweetest woman in the world. So that's very Laura. Um, And also it was, I think, one of those lucky moments where the construction of the set actually allowed us to keep the same shot, and I yes. think that may be one of its <laughs> charms, that you go on either side, and I can't remember whether that was designed on purpose for that moment or not Actually
0: I don't have to go
3: Right, good mm-hmm. No, 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 no that's, that's, good. that's good Just, um, would you excuse me for one second
0: Sure One um, the- second Um. Okay, that's done. Um. <laughs> why don't you come upstairs in about ten seconds? Ten seconds. Ten seconds. seconds.
1: But did you? Did, is it in the script? Did you write? She says, "Wait there a moment." She goes around the corner and she does <laughs> a little dance. I, I think so. Yeah, jumping it, the up and the down. Yes, because <laughs> it's just. It's joyous. I mean, it's, it is one of those, I know that, you know, that whole story actually is a, is one of the, the, the kind of the, the most complicated and complex threads in the film. But that little moment when she just goes, hang on a moment. And I, uh, it's, I actually have found myself doing that. I mean, you know, in full, in full view of everybody else, if something very, if something happens that I'm re- I go, just hang on a minute and I just take a little step to the left and then I do a little Laura Lilly dance and then because it's you know so what are your favourite moments I think you should I'll show you it goes like this I'll do it I'll do it for you I'll do it for you okay okay this is me doing Laura so you can see this on the camera okay so something good happens and I go hang on a minute
2: oh that's not only the cutest thing i've ever seen but one
1: of i mean the third worst jumper of all. Time. <laughs> this um, is my, i'm wearing this christmas jumper for you you know I, that that's, i'm doing love it. this special okay so look so what so what are your favorite moments if you make something yourself it must you know what are the moments that you love in love actually
2: Well, you know, it's very odd, Mark, because when you make a movie and then you watch it after, after all the self-discipline of sort of rigorously pretending when you're watching it back that you haven't seen that bit before, when you finally lock the movie, it just becomes a very expensive diary, you know? So what I get when I watch the film, (laughs) that was a tough day, he was in a bad mood, we ran out of time... You know, all of those things rather than, oh, there's that character who's doing that. Um, I don't know. Um, You know, I mean, so for instance, when I watched Hugh dancing... Yes. He was so grumpy about it. He hated it. It was the last thing we did. He didn't want to do it. Um, He (laughs) argued about the song. I think it was meant to be I Want You Back or ABC by the Jackson 5. He changed his mind at the last moment. So... That, for me, is the saddest f- scene in the film. You know, I'm just thinking <laughs> of our relationship. I, did I ever work with him again? I can't remember.
1: <laughs> you, um, you did so the, you did the commentary. Gone. You did the commentary together.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> when he came in mainly to insult. <laughs> That's God right. First, first neck. <laughs> um But let me see. I mean, I'm. I'm very, you know, I'm very... I am proud of the Emma moment just because I gave her the moment to do that thing. And I'm so glad that we didn't, you know, didn't shoot it fancily. So you can just watch a great actress doing her best work. So um, I do love that moment. Okay. Well, look, look,
1: Richard, let's talk about that because this is, again, I have talked about that scene so, so many times. And uh, I was talking to Emma Freud about that scene and I said, you know, I'm assuming that that was done in one shot. And she said, no, 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 they, we did several takes of it. And I said, but it's like, it, but she went, yeah, we did several takes of it. And every time she, Emma Thompson managed to do that reaction, which is, I mean, I love Emma Thompson anyway. But I think that's, that is her finest scene in anything she's done. Yeah, I mean, she it's extraordinary. And. I,
2: I mean, I think we did it nine times. I mean, I think we did it wow. three times in three different sizes. Um, so, yeah, it was... It, it, she was She was remarkable then. And one of the really weird things I always think about movie actors is you spend ages casting them. You rehearse, you fix everything. But weirdly, when it comes to it, they've got so little time. They're like racehorses. You think, well... The, yeah sometimes for people they only take a movie because of one scene and then it's five on a thursday (laughs) and you get to the reason they did the film and they've got to do it then and there so that is one of the great things mike newell always said to me if it doesn't happen in the room it's not going to happen in the edit and i think that that's the quintessential i mean it is quite heavily edited that film but that moment but it's only in order to watch M um, from different angles, not to uh, make it any more intense than it was in than it was in one shot.
3: God, that's a surprise.
0: What is it? <laughs> it's
3: a CD. Joni Mitchell. Wow. To continue your
2: emotional education.
0: Yes. <laughs>
3: Goodness, <laughs> that's great.
2: My brilliant wife.
3: Ah. Uh, Yes. <sighs> Actually, um, do you mind if I just absent myself for a second? All that ice cream. Uh, darling, could you make, just make sure the kids are ready to go?
0: All right. I'll be back in a minute. You're all right, You're
3: all right, my Moons and
2: dunes and ferris wheels
3: The dizzy dancing whale that you feel as every fairy tale comes real, I've looked at love that way
1: But it's interesting that you say it's heavily edited because in my head, that scene plays out in one shot. No. I mean, and I've seen the film a lot of times. I mean, more times than is healthy, actually. But in my head, it plays out as a single take because yeah. the continuity of what she's doing is... And... Emma Freud told me that she's lying on the floor in one of the shots because she was continuity. So she's lying on the floor. So not only is Emma Thompson doing the best acting evs, but she's doing it while Emma Freud is lying on the floor. How... I mean, I, I. to me, that's like magic. That's like a magic trick.
2: Yeah, well, and it is that too, you know. And I do think that... There are moments in in film where people do do an extraordinary piece of you know emotional magic, a quintessential thing uh and that's what you get out of the very greatest of actors i mean another thing you know i mean I do love Bill in the film yes uh that the interview that he does. Uh, at the radio station. I just kind of feel he was so in his prime and it was so what how you want every interview <laughs> to be. I love that. I get great joy out of watching Thomas brody Sangster because I yeah. saw the 100 other kids we auditioned. Right. Um, and, you know, trying to find a talented child is hard. And so I just watch it and think, I mean... They say the difference between youth and middle age is that hooray turns to few. And every time I'm watching, every time I'm watching
1: Thomas, I just think, oh, few. <laughs> Come on for that. Tell me about, um, I mean, again, I'm assuming everyone's seen it, so everybody knows where these scenes are. The scene in which Colin Firth, in his terrible foreign accent, has to do the, the you know, the exp- the, the, the proposal. Which is it's a great comic set piece, but it's a great comic set piece partly because of what you're doing with the translated uh, with the translated language. So tell me about that. I mean, was it funny on set? Because they often say that the funniest comedy is absolutely not funny on set.
2: That's interesting, isn't it? Um, it definitely no. I think it was romantic on set. Is okay. the truth? I think you're absolutely right. My I mean, my memory is that was a. That was a lovely day because we were actually there, you know. We were in Marseille. Most of the crowd were local people who had eaten in that restaurant. There's that one guy with the amazing moustache. Um, the, the girl, this sister, was brilliant and a gorgeous person. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but no, you're right. I think it was more romantic. And One of the things I love about Colin is he is always vaguely cross. <laughs> um, so, you know, the the kind of awkwardness of the wrong language, the crowd and everything like that was awkward for him. He, he wasn't a, sh- a ringmaster saying, hey, everyone, well, isn't this great fun? We're making a movie. He was a slightly cross English actor trying to remember lines in Portuguese. Um,
1: so... Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. It probably was. We we, we added the jokes below. And when the, there is there's a, a marvellous moment that's been referred to actually quite a lot in the last four years because of um, because of the abomination in the White House. The moment in which we get, you know, Hugh Grant as the prime minister, we all wish we had standing up against the American who actually, by today's standards, looks like almost a kind of... Sanked! Saint. <laughs> uh. Did you have a sense when you were doing that that this is good? Because that, I mean, I've seen so many people play that so over the last four years, that sequence has been used again and again and again as an example of what we want as opposed to what we've got, particularly with, in terms of everything that's happened with Trump. I don't
2: know. I mean, look, it was. I, I seem to remember it was lovely to write, and I was agonised about what things we included
1: in the list, in the list of stuff. Um, you know, the joke, the joke about David Beckham's feet is very because I don't, I don't know football, and even I get that joke. Yeah, well, you know, we got lucky, and it's always fun
2: writing lists. That's basically what all we did in Blackadder. <laughs> I mean, if you if you get yourself in a position where a leader can say something lovely, I mean, it's the whole of West Wing. The whole of West Wing, you just watch and think, oh, if only somebody could sort of epitomise that moment. Um, I mean, I was very careful, as you know, not to say of Hugh what party he belonged to.
1: No, you were very, it very...
2: Was, it was very, um, you know, meant to be neutral. And you know maybe i i, I there, maybe there are things about england and and britain
1: that i love do you feel you know because the comparison that's always made with that is frank capra which incidentally i think is the highest comparison do you see that at all um Is that Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Yeah, and, you know, and a whole bunch of other really important things, including It's a Wonderful Life. I I must do my research there. (laughs) I've not seen that film. But, I mean, if we're
2: talking Christmas films, we will talk about It's a Wonderful Life, and that is, you know, the definitive,
1: well, one of the three Great Christmas films. Okay, so what are the three? So, so for, um, Wonderful Life, absolutely, because I think Wonderful Life is one of the, one of the greatest films ever made, not least because, as everybody points out, and I point out every year, it's a film which begins with somebody basically on the point of suicide, and all the whole idea that it's Christmas schmaltz. You, you really haven't seen it's a Wonderful Life. There's an awful lot of darkness. You know, to, as, to quote Simon Mayo, "There's a lot of Shawshank before the redemption." So. <laughs> What's, what are the three great Christmas movies, if that's one of them? Elf.
2: I mean, for me, it's just, that's the quintessential new one. I love that. And then the Charlie Brown Christmas animation. Yeah. yeah. I think those are my, those are the three that I would always hope to watch.
0: I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest.
1: So do you, to, do you watch them every year? So Elf, for example, I mean, Elf is one of those things, it's like Love Actually, in, in the month before Christmas, it's, it's on somewhere. If you flick through the TV channels at any time of day or night, it's on. Do you watch it every year and does it always make you laugh? I've, I always watch Elf, it makes me so happy. It's like the
2: definitive film about the problem of being nice. I, <laughs> I, I really like that film. Um, I tend to watch, I, you know, I've stopped watching It's a Wonderful Life. Funnily enough, in a way, it's because I know where I'm being led and I don't want to be put through the ringer again. But there was a sort of 10 year period when I watched it all the time. And then I watched it once and thought, wait a minute, I'm starting to like it less. I better stop watching it now. Maybe
1: I should watch it again this year. What's your favorite scene in Elf? What's the thing that always works for you? Because we, when we did Secrets of Cinema, we used a couple of scenes from Elf, and it is interesting how, even out of context, the scene still works. So, what's your favorite?
2: There's a scene with a Christmas tree, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I think when he jumps on the Christmas tree, I think that's my favorite. <laughs> that's my favorite bit. But, you know, I love the coffee joke.
1: I love this too. Hey, Emma. Hey. How are you doing? How are you? Thank
3: you. Not looking the finest. Do you know about the touch up my appearance button? Well, <laughs> no. Okay. Right Right now, look on yes. your screen. Yes. Go to the bottom left corner where it says stop video.
1: Yeah. Are you being serious about this? Yeah. Yeah, very. Okay. This right. So-
3: and then hit the little tiny arrow next to it.
1: Hang on. So really? Okay. So, yep. And then it says... settings integrated webcam choose virtual background and video settings
3: yeah click video settings okay and now click touch up my appearance
1: you're serious
3: i'm serious
1: okay yep and now do i
3: and now close that window and now look at yourself oh my god mark you look amazing
1: hang on hang on hang on have i have i done it i just don't even know what i've done done.
3: did you click on touch up my appearance
1: I I look the same to me, but hang yeah, on, do, do, hang on. video. To, we go back drama. and check it? Yeah, touch up my appearance. It, I look the same. What how 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 was how?
3: At look at me, I'm 18 on this video link.
1: seconds <laughs>
3: ago I was 58.
1: Mark, you've been <laughs> replaced
2: by your son. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you look you've got no Bring wrinkles back. on your forehead.
2: Okay. What is, so
1: what does it do? I never knew. It just anything.
2: smooths. I think it it, it fudges it. It just okay. it just puts you a bit out of focus.
1: Okay, I'm definitely going to come out of that because I am old and proud of it. Frankly, is <laughs> also when you get? I mean, I'm at the, you know I'm at the point now when. Look, I mean Look, I, I'm grey-haired and balding. You look fabulous, Emma. You always have to, Emma. I was just saying to Richard, we oh. were talking about the scene in. Um, just for everybody who doesn't obviously you know, this is Emma Freud. Uh, she has met Richard Curtis before. This is all perfectly fine. Um, that during that scene uh, of uh, Emma Thompson doing the emma thompson scene that you told me that you were lying on the floor because you were script editing so actually she's having to act around you being on the floor is that that's right
3: i love that's how you 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 remembered it in your head no i was sitting on the floor i wasn't lying oh i beg your pardon (laughs) i was sitting on the floor in the open doorway so that i could see her but neither she nor the camera could see me
1: okay 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 the story's better when you're lying on the floor and she's actually having to (laughs) crawl over you like a kind of like a (laughs)
3: that is so great. Do you know, I might change the story to say I was lying on the floor at the foot of the bed. It's much better.
1: Print the legend. And I I sent you once, um, my son, who Richard just invoked that I looked like with the touch up my appearance button, was playing the theme from Love Actually, the Glasgow theme, on the piano. Um, because we watch it all the time And he's seen it so many times That he just, you know, he learned it by ear Not by music, he just sat, and he sat there and he was playing it And I, I got a, my phone And I recorded him doing it And he was just figuring it out As he went along and, and then at the end it wasn't quite right But it's fine And I sent it to Emma And I said, Emma, I just want to say th- th- This has just happened in my house And you sent me back a message saying That was lovely, until he got it wrong And I wanted to punch him <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I,
3: I can script edit that comment now and yeah. take that out. Take the embed out. Yeah. <laughs> you can see now where Richard gets his edge from, can't you? Yeah.
1: Yes, I can. She's, the grit. She's the grit in my oyster. Yeah, absolutely. So so I, mean, I was...
3: mentioned my appearance in Love Actually.
1: No, be... Emma, tell us about your appearance in Love Actually.
3: Well, Mark, I think you'll notice that at the beginning of the film, there's a montage, there are many montages in the film, but the opening one... I think, has a shot on one of the bridges in London where you see two people carrying a Christmas tree across the bridge. It lasts about a second. And I am the back end of that Christmas tree. (laughs) You can't see my face, but you can see my legs. They put in a very nice performance. And the first, the top end of the Christmas tree was the first AD.
1: Wow. Well, the, you, that's not credited at the end of the film. I mean, you are credited, but not not as not as back end of the Christmas tree. Uh,
3: what about my mum? Have we talked about my mum.
1: No, go ahead.
3: Okay, so you know the bit where Hugh Grant, who plays the prime minister, arrives at 10 Downing Street. Yes. And he's introduced to his staff. Yes. And one of the staff he's introduced to is his housekeeper. Yes. The elderly lady. That's my mum. <laughs> That's my mum, and she's slightly overactive. I think she added in a line that she hadn't been given. She had one line. I think she made it two. We'll have to
2: edit that bit out as well, that are slightly overacted. She's never going to have
3: to work. Podcast. She's 93 now. Um,
1: I. I,
3: I about my son's appearance?
1: No, again, go ahead. Do you remember
3: that there's a nativity scene?
1: Yes, where... Emma, I know the whole movie off by heart. You don't need to preface anything by, do you remember?
3: Okay, in the in nativity the, scene, not legendary nativity scene. There's um, that you 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 cut round all the little kids on the stage, and yeah. one of the kids is a, um, a is a three king, one of the kings, but he's wearing Spider Man face Yes, pants. that's my son.
1: I didn't know that.
3: Yeah, he was two, f- I think, or maybe three.
1: That's fantastic. That's why the film came in on budget. We just cast members of <laughs> <in> the family. <laughs> Imagine
2: how much you would have had to pay for those um, tree-carrying legs in any
0: American
1: production.
3: I've got one more. Okay. In that same nativity scene, my daughter, who was older and slightly more savvy, was also, or she was five, I think, Scarlet Curtis, you know her. Yes. She was offered offered the the part of Mary. You know, there's a thing they say that people who were Mary in their that childhood nativity play go on to do amazing things. Did you
1: know that? I, I, I didn't know that. No, no, I didn't know that.
3: nativity, who were you?
1: Well, I was one of the wise men who turned up with a camel. Probably. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I Trump, never, never had a speaking part. Trump played Mary in his school production.
3: <laughs> anyway, Scarlett was offered Mary, and she said, "I don't want to be Mary. It's a boring role. Could I be the second lobster, please?" And very good. Not that
1: part. So, she and that's was- the great thing about. There were two lobsters at the birth. Yeah. Of- <laughs>
3: one of them was my
2: daughter. Small details are big
0: surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.
1: Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without
0: worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: Wonderful Life and uh, the Charlie Brown. I take it you listen to the music for Charlie Brown all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, but that music is so um,
1: extraordinarily unexpected. It's so unsymmetrical. It's this kind of groovy jazz music, isn't it? Yeah, the whole way through, I know. It's a fantastic album. I mean, it is actually a really brilliant jazz album and, and it's really entertaining. I mean, so- by the way, music on Love, actually,
2: um, you know, huge part of it. Um, and Craig Armstrong, who did that, we had such a good time, but also a real wrestle, because his instincts are sort of melancholy. Yes. Uh, I remember ringing Baz Luhrmann, saying, how's Craig? And he said, well, if you want romantic melancholy, go for him. And so there <laughs> were quite a lot of moments when Craig would say, could it go da-da-dum? And I'd say, could it go da da And we agreed on uh, that in between. But I think, you know, I did get lucky. I've seen that last. I mean, the music does seem to have lasted. And and, a lot of love actually is glued together with music. Um, And I think that, you know, that has been, I think that may be one of the reasons people like it as well, that it's kind of an oral journey as well as, you know, a, a narrative one nice su-
1: popping up i'm sure this question has been answered but why is the glasgow theme called the glasgow theme because
2: we went up to glasgow and craig wrote it there okay but of course at no point in the movie does anyone go to
1: Glasgow? does anyone go to glasgow or indeed does anyone mention glasgow or does glasgow feature as a plot point i'm pretty certain that glasgow maybe, isn't i don't know is gregor fisher from glasgow maybe he is Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's, I think that's post hoc thinking. Yeah. So of all the storylines in Love Actually, is there one that's closest to you? I mean, it's, it was interesting that, you know, so, you know, Emory and you, after, you've, you've, you've worked together for years and years and years. It, it, are there things in it that are, that are particularly you? When we see Love Actually, are there things in it that you think, is there a character that is you, for example? Well, actually, that's
2: uh, because, you know, it's pretty noticeable in in a lot of my films that there is a kind of slightly dull, more unconfident younger man, which I suppose was my sort of version of myself. And I don't know that that's true in in Love Actually particularly. I mean, you may know the the stranger's story is the one of um, Laura and her brother and that is you know my sister was very ill for a very long time kept in places that were full of horror and so you know that in some ways the strangest thing and the most autobiographical thing in yeah. the film. And
1: that um, and that thread is so is so beautifully done. The moment when when he when he raises his hand to strike and she just says no don't don't it's so brilliant. And also the 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 constantly answering the phone and no, 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 it's fine. No, it's fine. That the I mean, that does have absolutely the ring of truth to it. And I think people forget that love actually has those things in it. Because you remember it as this such as a as a warm hug of a movie, but it only works because there are things in it that actually do strike them. That there is everything about the betrayed wife, there is the sister who you know, will always do that thing. Those are the things that make it work.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a lovely thing. The the the. Thank you, Mark. The the genesis of love actually was quite odd and and luxurious in that I had an operation on my back, um, after which I kind of had to learn to walk again. And we went abroad for six months, and I couldn't really write because. I, I, you know, I was in a a pain and stuff and I had to walk every day for to sort of practice. Yeah. So I said, all I'm going to do in this six months is think of plots for this film. And so I had the luxury of really trying to scope the subject yeah, And I think that was, you know, and if I think if I'd written it in more of a rush, it might have been more down one line. But it did let me think, well, what are brothers and sisters? What are fathers and sons? Um, what situations might this happen in? What are the different, you know? And I think that the spread of it partly is there because of the fact that I had, you know, time to, to ruminate. And also I did want to not only make it about falling in love because that's probably not the most contrary to my you know resume not the most important <laughs> in the world increasingly feel that people's love for their older parents is kind of the most remarkable and then the parents love for the children and then our love for our friends all of these things i mean it'd be interesting if i was starting love actually again with innocence now what would
1: be different but I have thought about it, and I, I couldn't do it anymore. Do you? Th- you know, you don't ever think about. I mean, I'm sure you've been asked, but Love Actually too or well, no? The reason being, Mark, because of this catastrophic edit
2: that I thought we did it by the skin of our teeth, and I've got absolutely no confidence that that wouldn't happen again. That I wouldn't think I'd done something excellent and then find
1: out it was it was a, a mess. So you know i was talking to a a fellow film critic about it uh, the other day and it's it's one of those things that it's become i mean because i've because i've gone on about it so much it's it's no longer you know everyone knows what i think about love actually and i you know and i've always i know that you know some people don't like it and some people have political problems with it and this that and the other and and my response to all of it is i don't care um well, you know does does it how do you when you how do you respond to the criticisms of it does it is there anything about it that you think okay yeah that i I buy that or do you just it is what it is
2: well i mean I don't take them very personally, you know mark I don't mind people criticizing I do think you know um even the people I most like their work i don't like all their work, so it it's kind of fine by me i think you know the lack of diversity in the casting is is on the is not great. Um, I wish you know it, 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 that would not be the case if we started it now. Um, I, I'm a bit puzzled by the fact that um, the kind of three of the romances by men are with people who work for them, and I'm really odd that I didn't spot that. Uh, I think that I wish. You know, I just kind of think I could have taken one of those and maybe made something made something different there. There's a lot of focus on the um Andrew Lincoln card scene, yeah, where I, I sometimes feel a bit hard done by because I remember I was working in an office with three women and I thought of four things that um Andrew could do, and I went out to them and said, If you were the Girl, which of these would you find most, you know, kind of romantic or self effacing, whatever it is? And they, they picked the card. So uh, I'm sorry that it's now referred to as the stalker sequence, but um, I, I, I don't feel that too deeply, but I, I can understand. I think if I'd heard the post reaction, I might have had him say a couple of extra lines and do a couple of extra cards.
0: We'll get it. Oh, hi. Who is it?
3: It's carol singers.
1: Well, give him a quid and tell him to bugger off. But it's I don't know. It's the it's the, it's a it's a Bob Dylan reference for me. I mean that's yeah. why Well that, that, and you know, and indeed though and I hope no one now is thinking of
2: it as a Tory political party broadcast reference. Wouldn't that be
1: <laughs> Well, listen, it's been it's been lovely to talk to you about the film. I mean I I, I know I know as a critic the the one thing that I have learnt over the years is it's almost impossible to judge films on first viewing. And the older I get, the more I think that you need to have a little bit of time between watching a movie and judging it. And ideally that time gap would be 10 years. And... um And I'm sure that from filmmakers' point of view, that's, you know, that's always the thing. Anyway, I was talking to somebody and we started talking about Love Actually and Magnolia, um, the Paul Thomas Anderson film. I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. But the intertwining stories and the way in which those two things occupy, you know, oddly enough, a similar space. And this guy said, I cannot believe that we have just talked for an hour about Magnolia and Love Actually. And I said... Yeah, but you know why? It's because we both love both of those films, and I absolutely, with a my hand on my heart, and I've said it over and over again. I'll say again. I love Love Actually. I just, in fact, even talking about it, I'm tearing up. Well, Mark, I'm so,
2: I'm so touched, and that should be the end of the, the the show. But just between us, can I just say that strangely. The reason I wrote it was because I loved other and better films. So I just loved Nashville. I just loved Shortcuts. I really loved Smoke. I yeah. really liked um, Pulp Fiction. I really liked films with lots of plots. Yeah. So it was a, a genre that I wanted to, to try. Yeah. And um, it's a
1: genre that's very easy to get wrong. It's a genre that it is very easy to just make people think that they're just watching a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't connect. Well, and, and I think, th- think that some of that is in the
2: rigor of the maybe in the rigor of the edit. Um can we finish just in case you say by since we're on films we love, can I just yes. say my two? Yes. Um or three. Um, like crazy if anyone who's watching this hasn't watched it that drake DeRamus movie yeah. just so beautiful when i yeah. was thinking about about time on the love actually front i think 500 days of summer is the closest because it's also got that thing where you can watch it again because you don't know what scene's coming next yeah 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 i often yeah. think that's why people watch love actually because it isn't they rob the bank, they get in the car, they get you know, you don't know what scene's coming next. Yeah. Um, I, I really do love that. And again, music is a very, very big part of that as well. Yeah. And then let's um on family, I've just rewatched the stories we tell, that Sarah Poli documentary. Yeah. That's a, which is amazing. That's an amazing film. So those that's, are my those are my three in my heart at the moment. But
1: yeah. And that stories we tell is the most incredible thing is you're halfway through it before you actually find out what it is, because it's because it's about story. And I I remember watching it. Funnily enough, I watched it with my son, the son who played the theme from <laughs> the Glasgow theme on the piano, but got it wrong at the end. Um, and I we were both going where you know where is it going? That's what's so great about it. It's the where is it going thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mark,
1: I so appreciate
2: your being warm about it. You know, it's what it feels like. Weirdly is someone being nice about a child of yours that they've (laughs) met abroad. You know, in a funny way, I don't take responsibility for the film any longer, but it makes me feel lovely that something that I made ages ago, like a daughter or a son, has turned out well. And then people (laughs) like, you know, I hope you have a merry, lonely Christmas. Um, And... uh, I mean, I don't mean, I hope you'll know, we're all not going to see many people, but that's been lovely, right. chat.
1: Yeah. Thank you ever so much. God bless you. I love the film and, uh, and it's been a real, this has been a real Christmas treat for me to talk to you about it. So Richard Curtis, thank you very much. And say thank you to Emma for introducing me to the touch your, Face up on whatever it is, button. She only discovered it yesterday. She's very (laughs) excited. Okay, take it. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, there we go. I can think of very few better things to do than spending time listening to Richard Curtis talking about love, actually. Thanks ever so much for listening to this Come Out On Film podcast. If you've enjoyed it, remember to subscribe. Go to our Patreon page where there's loads and loads of extras. I hope to see you at one of the future MK3D shows. They are resuming in the new year, although we're just taking a couple of months' break just to sort of regroup. But we will be back and hopefully on stage as soon as all this is behind us. In the meantime, have a very safe Christmas. I wish you all the best for the new year thanks for listening to this podcast keep watching the skies people now next week as we always do this time of year there's going to be two podcasts one of them counting down my 10 favorite films released in the uk in 2020 and one counting down my 10 least favorite that's best and worst top 10 lists coming next here on kermit on film